you're fed up with the nine to five. You've been working hard for years and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from the traditional career, but don't know how. Business Breaks is here to help. Hello, everybody. This is the Business Breaks podcast, and I am your host, Dante Healy. My guest today is Christopher Chin, a data visualization expert who is a storyteller at his core. So throughout his career, he's found different ways of telling stories by adapting for different mediums. At the beginning of his journey, it was in music, so telling stories through short film scoring. And as an acoustic engineer, he told the stories of spaces through their acoustic design. And then now, finally, in the realm of data science, his work has focused on the extraction of stories from raw data to guide company decisions. His current focus is on building out his brand, The Hidden Speaker. And you can access that at thehiddenspeaker.com, which will be in the show notes, where he will soon be offering presentation coaching services for those in technical fields. Now, personally connected with Chris, he's already having a big impact on LinkedIn through his engaging posts, which is where I found him. So Christopher, welcome to Business Breaks. Thank you so much, Dante, for the very kind introduction. Happy to be here. And I think, uh, yeah, you told a really good summary of my career journey so far. And looking back on it, it's uh, I'm still amazed at how many crazy twists and turns it took me to get to where I am now. But I'm very happy to have found the current field of presentation data storytelling that I'm currently in. Uh, but yeah, I think the journey really started many, many, many years ago in music and music composition. And when I think about all the uh, different twists and turns my, my career journey has been going through, I really think about the motivation behind each of those. And I think the core kind of tenet that's guided me through all of the directions I've taken is really trying to tell stories in an impactful way to people. And at the beginning, it was through music. And so I used to be involved with short film scoring, with sound design, with advertising. And it was an incredible uh, time in my life where I could really be me in a, in a certain way that I really felt like I had really found the resonance at my core of being, that it was being creative being, uh, getting to meet a lot of people, getting to create these products that a lot of people got to enjoy and, uh, and see. And so that was an amazing time. And at a, after a certain point, I realized that my interests were diverging slightly. And also there was the need to find more stable employment. And so that's where I came upon the field of acoustic engineering. It was kind of like the, the engineering field that was closest to my passion in music. So it was involved with sound, uh, with understanding how to build speakers, with understanding how to construct architectural spaces for uh, whether it be for educational purposes, for corporate purposes. And that was uh, an amazing other period of my life where I got to uh, I got to go on rooftops and look, measure acoustic uh, signatures up there. I got to go to really wealthy apartments. It was uh, uh, a really interesting time. Uh, but then after a certain point, my interest diverged again, and I realized that at my core, I'm a storyteller and I love building things. And so uh, through that consulting work that I was doing at the time, trying to identify how to best build architectural spaces, I realized I really wanted to build things with the engineering knowledge that I had developed. And so through that kind of self-reflection, I came upon the field of data, which is a whole wild west other world 
uh, to explore. And what I found really interesting and engaging about it was that I could learn everything that I needed to online and on my own. And through self-discipline and self-learning, I could achieve what I wanted without having to go back for another formal education. And so I spent a lot of time uh, going through online courses and creating projects in my portfolio and leveling myself up until I was ready to uh, secure real full-time positions in the, in the field. And that was a moment when I realized to myself that I could really, if I put my mind to it, if I put the time into it, the 10,000 hours or, or so that uh, people recommend you have to spend to uh, really learn something, that I could really achieve uh, what I put my mind to, however cliche that sounds. But so I came upon the field of data analytics and I realized that my passion within it, niching down even further, was the presentation and public speaking aspect of it. Because even more than the coding or the programming or the statistics, what I really enjoyed was finding the granules of story within the data itself and kind of playing them and threading them together into something compelling for people to listen to and take action on. And so, uh, yeah, that pretty much is a summary of uh, where I am now and where I came from originally. Well, wow, that's fascinating. And it's great that you managed to find something you were really passionate about and you were able to find rewarding work and fulfillment in that. And coming back to your own story, uh, it would be interesting to to get your insights on what drew you to data visualization specifically as that part of data science and what were your intrinsic motivations and what do you find most rewarding? Yeah, I'd say that the most rewarding aspect and the reason why I was drawn to data visualization in the first place was the creative element of it. So for a long time, I had been composing music and uh, working largely in the audio realm to create creative products. But when I came upon the field of data as a whole, I found that this particular subsection of data visualization was where I could potentially be very creative in a visual sense rather than an audio one. And it could kind of flex that muscle, uh, but in a different way and in a way that uh, could also call upon the more scientific logical parts of my brain that I also really enjoyed exercising. So it was in many ways a perfect blend of the two halves of myself, the creative half and the more logical and uh, scientific halves. And I, I think a really good analogy to what really spoke to me in data visualization as well is a particular project I was working on when I was heavily involved with composition and sound design, there was a real struggle that I experienced at a certain point because it, particularly in sound design and electronic music, there is pretty much an unlimited set of possibilities in terms of the sounds you can uh, create. It really comes down to your imagination and what you can, you can really create any kind of sound you want with the tools available. And uh, for someone like me, uh, it was uh, that's very thrilling to be able to have that unlimited possibility. But for someone like me as well, who also really enjoys uh, going through processes and that scientific side of myself, it was also very frustrating because there was no right answer in a sense. And so it was really about doing what worked. And due to my own perfectionist tendencies, I always would look back and say, oh, I could have done it better. And so what I enjoyed about the field of data and data visualization was there was, in a sense, a right answer. The answer was in the data itself. It wasn't the statistics that are reproducible. And so with that kind of grounding, 
I could on top of it build something that was creative and compelling and aesthetic with the data visualizations. And so uh, inspire people to take action based off of the insights that I had found, but there would be in a way a certainty in, in the sense of the numbers that I was producing. Sounds like a perfect blend of substance and form, which obviously requires, as you say, both the logical side of your brain as well as the creative artistic side, which is wonderful to hear. And in terms of your transferable skills, you've obviously managed to successfully pivot into very creative careers and roles in your very, you're quite young as well, so early career. <laughs> <laughs> um, and still a long way to go, right? Um, That's for sure. Yeah. And just want to um, get a view of how have you managed to overcome the challenges or any initial setbacks in actually being able to make that pivot and transition from one role to another? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I think that for me, I was faced with a lot of self-doubt at the beginning. I, I would constantly think to myself, can I really make this enormous pivot from the humanities, uh, essentially, into the sciences and the engineering and the data world. And I, I spent many instances where I thought I would give up in that pursuit. But I think I read somewhere during, at some point in that journey that it for people who are successful, the same as the, let's say, the, the regular people, uh, the people that, uh, the everyday people, except they just keep going uh, when they're faced with the chance that uh, it will fail. And so for me, I I said to myself, if I'm going to really do this, I'm going to put everything that I have into making this work. If it doesn't work out in the end, that's okay, but I'll know that I had given it my my best shot. And so I I told myself, yes, if if I'm stuck, if I face a rut in the road, I'll just keep pushing forward. I'll, I'll figure out a way. And there was one project I was working on that uh, really cemented that for me. It was one where uh, I believe I was creating a new kind of map visualization as a part of uh, visualiz visualizing transportation noise. And I had hit a rut in terms of what I wanted to visualize in that map. I, it was something that I had in my concept. And it just wasn't working. I just couldn't figure out how to do it in the code. And I was tempted to just give up at that point and say, okay, maybe this, this really isn't for me. Maybe I'm not meant for this. Maybe I uh, don't have enough uh, of a skill set to make this work. But I said to myself, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really keep pushing at this to figure it out. And after a lot of Googling and a lot of Stack Overflow uh, and a lot of just experimentation, I, I did figure it out eventually. And I said, okay, this proves to me in a small sense that I can really achieve it if I put my mind to it. And instead of having, say, 10 unfinished projects after several months where I just try things and then I give up, I'll have 10 finished projects that I'm proud of that I can go into interviews and say, hey, this is what I did. And I can really do this for your company as well. So there were definitely tons of challenges and setbacks over the course of my transition from music composition and engineering into data. And I think that the, the thing that really helped me pivot well and helped keep me going was just, it really came down to the mindset that I can do this and there's nothing stopping me except for, my, except for myself, in essence. And I think that uh, going through the interview process as well, what really helped was, as you mentioned, the transferable skills. So 
while many others uh, of the same age as me and applying for the same position had the same technical skill set. So they could code, they could analyze, they could visualize. For me, the transferable skill that I brought from my prior career was being able to think out of the box, think of solutions that uh, maybe other people hadn't thought of immediately. And I noticed through the interviews that I had that I was also very successful at in terms of eventually going on and working at those companies was I was what the interviewers told me afterwards was they were really impressed by uh, the creativity that I brought. And that's what I'm, I'm really glad to have gone through my prior experiences as a composer and as a sound designer uh, and working within those spaces because I learned that uh, being creative uh, is very challenging. But uh, it's something that's uh, really underemphasized in a lot of technical fields, the soft skill aspects. So people can learn all of the programming languages, languages they want, but it really comes down to knowing how to communicate them well, how to really empathize with stakeholders and see what would they actually want. Maybe they'll give me a set of questions of what they'd like my analysis to address, but maybe there's actually something they're not thinking of that my analysis can address if I put it in. And so what I was able to bring to the table and what I still try to bring to my work today is always trying to think outside of the box and inside other people's shoes uh, to really get at the heart of the problem and bring in uh, creativity to uh, finding novel solutions. Well, answer. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm thinking of, I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to that and dissect it, but it's it's very interesting how you craft that narrative i can see you're very you're very creative in the way you express yourself uh, and within that um obviously that comes from various things as you say the humanities your background in music and then translating that into data and with music uh, i'm not a music expert but um it's all about composition you've got a set of notes you've got a structure and it's how you blend those notes and how how you merge the dimensions. And similarly, data, it's all about what dimensions do you need, how you blend them together, and then craft them into a visual. So with that in mind, I'd like to get your take on data visualization and how how can it be used to effectively tell those stories? Yeah, for data visualization, I think there would be a good distinction between data visualization and also data storytelling in the sense that uh, if you took, for example, a line graph uh, visualizing, let's say, uh, sales for the past year, that would be a data visualization in the sense that it is visualizing data. But the component that's missing from that is the story. And so the next stage from there would be the data storytelling. So instead of just showing all the sales for the past year, if you were to zoom in to the region of that graph where maybe sales dropped, then you can say, okay, there's something going on here. And then you can bring in more data and say, what products constituted those sales in that time period where things dropped? Uh, and then you can say, let's bring in more data to see why specific products sold less than others. Was it less supply? Was it less demand? And so you can continue digging and exploring and really navigating this space and then finally come to an aha moment where you tell your, your future audience, your client, your stakeholder, this is the reason why your sales dropped during this point of the year. And from there, what actions can you take to avoid that happening in the future? So maybe let's say sales dropped in February because uh, the supply of flour went down. 
And so you weren't able to make your most popular product in your bakery. And so uh, your most frequent customers that used to spend a lot of money stopped coming to your store. And so in the future, if you wanted to avoid that happening, make sure that you have maybe some backup suppliers for your flour. Uh, and so things like that are the difference between the kind of simple translation between what the data is saying and then the so what aspect of why does it matter to the people you're presenting it to. And I think there's also a lot of aspects of data visualization that call upon storytelling elements as well. So, for example, I, I often um, have conversations with many people on LinkedIn and other platforms where uh, they ask advice for different visualizations they're, they're creating as a part of their portfolios. And the number one advice that I always give is that uh, less is more in the sense that a lot of people, when they're developing their portfolios, really want to impress. And so they're doing all these flashy things and having these really eye-catching graphics and these really bright colors. And I say, if you're telling a story, uh, or if you're watching a movie, for example, if everything's flashing all the time and you're seeing action, 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 and there's no slow moments, then it's really overwhelming experience. And so what you want to do if you want to develop a good, effective data visualization is think about how to tell a good story. You don't want there to always be a climactic moment. You want there to be pauses and you want there to be silences. You want there to be empty spaces. And so... Uh, my number one recommendation for good data visualization best practices, less is always more. So take it easy on the colors. Don't always have the bright reds and the bright yellows, but uh, tone it down. So maybe your default color palette can be gray. And then if there's one single data point that's important, you can call that out with a, a starker, shinier color like blue. And so contrast is really important. And I think that when people are developing slides as well, showing their data visualizations, another uh, thing I recommend is also the less is more idea where you don't want to crowd your slides with too many details or too much text. You want to leave breathing room to point attention to the important parts. And I think the last uh, big advice I usually give for those interested in pivoting into data visualization or building their work is always thinking about uh, putting themselves in the audience's shoes. So what does the audience care about? And that can really affect the way that you create your data visualization. So if your audience is a fellow developer like you, maybe your visualizations will address the granular detail of um, here are the jobs that you've sent through your program, and these are the jobs that are failing, and these are the jobs that are successful. But if you're not a developer and you don't want to see that level of detail, let's say you're an executive, and all you want to see is the uh, big insights about how your team is performing uh, as, a, as a whole, then you would want to show different kinds of metrics and visualizations, not at that level of granular detail as before. And so understanding your audience knowing your audience, really having conversations or relationships with the people that you'll be presenting to is super important for being able to tell the best story that can influence them uh, to take the best actions. Completely agree. And um, yeah, when I was early in my coding journey, studying it, I had this rookie, I, I made the rookie mistake of trying to show everything I could do when I submitted my projects and not thinking about <laughs> sometimes the assessor, at least in the initial stages. And yeah, it's all, it all circles around the audience and who you're trying to communicate with. So I completely agree. Even with the less is more, you don't want to overwhelm them with noise. So yeah, thank you. Besides those amazing tips, do you have any other 
advice for creating effective and engaging data visualizations? Yes, for sure. Um, and I actually relate completely to what you mentioned before. In my early portfolio, I also tried to really impress because of that imposter syndrome that you feel when you're pivoting into a new career. You really want to show that you can do the work. And so I would I would make those, I guess, make those mistakes of trying to put as much as I could into the work that I was showing. But uh, realizing much later on, yes, I, I was trying too hard and I should have backed away. And on that same note, thinking about ways that um, others can also tell really good data uh, data stories and, and create good data visualizations. I was watching one time um, this really great presentation by a Toastmasters winner and a Toastmasters being a group where you can practice a lot of your public speaking. And this, this presenter was one who had won the competition, I believe. And he started out where he pulled a cigarette out from his pocket and he started to light it. And of course, the audience is all chuckling nervously at this point, trying to figure out what he's doing. And, and then he says, did you know that people are three times more likely to die of diabetes than smoking? And that the number one cause of lung cancer death's not the cigarette, it's actually your DNA. So he said, when I pull out a cigarette, everyone's protesting. But if I pull out a Snickers bar, nobody panics. And a few seconds later, he says, I made up all of those statistics. But because of the way I presented it to you, you believed every single word that I said. And I thought that was extremely compelling because at your disposal as a data analyst, uh, when you're presenting data, you have enormous power to craft these stories and influence people. And you have to be very careful with that power. Um, but the lesson that the big lesson that I learned from that particular presentation was that people love hearing statistics when they're coupled with emotional storytelling. And so if he had just said those statistics about people being three times more likely uh, dying of diabetes and smoking, which was, of course, a, a, not a factual statistic. But if he had just said that just at the beginning without doing his little act at the beginning of pulling out a cigarette, then people wouldn't have found that as compelling. But because he put the emotion into his into the way he presented that information, he was able to make people believe him and make people care and make people invested. And so the number one advice I'd give to people, uh, besides the tips uh, that I was outlining before, is that good storytelling really relies upon emotion. And it's really underemphasized, I believe, in the technical fields because we're always trying to be scientific and logical, precise, objective. But when it comes to storytelling, uh, you have to call upon the subjective elements to communicate well to people. And so uh, when you're giving a presentation that really speaks to people, it will call upon emotion. It will get people feeling frustrated. It will get them feeling angry. It will get them feeling why are, why are things like this now and how can we fix them in the future? And that's what your presentation can deliver. You can say, this is why things are bad now. Get your audience really um, upset and angry about the current state of things and say, this is where we're going to go. And that arc is the storytelling that you'll be delivering to them. So emotion is a huge component of good presentation of your data. And once you get the audience really worked up, invested, and interested in the insights that you're giving, then you can use your data to funnel all of that energy into a productive outlet and tell them what actions to take backed by data um, that can help the company make more money or help the company um, recruit more employees. And so coupling those two aspects, the objective and the subjective sides, hand in hand is really important for an effective uh, data storytelling presentation. Again, a masterful blend of being able to 
balance emotions with facts. And I've been in more than enough meetings where emotions are associated with negative connotations where conflict, which isn't always a negative thing, escalates and then people or the grown-ups would say, let's take the emotion out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yes. And yeah, so uh, in terms of those data visualizations, that communication, the influencing, it's not just about presenting data, it's about telling stories and presenting options that lead to the right decisions. What are the common mistakes people make when they're presenting data visualizations or even at the beginning when they're thinking about, well, how do I interpret this into a visualization? What do you think people might miss that might be, well, dare I say, obvious to you? but not obvious to someone who's just starting out on that journey. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely made so many mistakes up to this point in my journey and realized looking back the ways that I could have always done better. And I think the a, a really important mindset to go in is always being willing to make those mistakes and fail so that you can learn from them and become better. So that mindset of continuous learning. So many of the mistakes that I would make early on uh, would be focusing too much on the technical details of your work. And I think a huge part of that is attributed to technical professionals, so the people who code and analyze and program. Every day, the majority of your day is spent at your laptop, figuring out what that one bug is in your code that's causing things to break down and not work, uh, agonizing over the one period that you missed in the code so that uh, things aren't running. And so your your head is in the weeds all of the time as a technical professional. You're really thinking about how to make things work. And you're thinking about process, process, process. And the important thing to realize is that that's not what anybody in your audience usually wants to hear about, unless they're also developers like you. So usually you'll be presenting to non-technical audiences. You'll be presenting to stakeholders, clients, uh, executives, managers, and they don't care about any of the hours you agonize over that one single line of code. What they care about is why does it matter to them and what what insights can they glean from the work that you've done. So one of the things that I really learned was you have to take your head out of the weeds. You have to look at a higher level at the work that you're doing and why does it matter to the organization. So if you're developing an algorithm that, say, tries to identify uh, images of broken freight, you can talk in your presentation about Uh, the statistics behind the model, why you chose a certain uh, algorithm, why you chose a certain metric to evaluate performance. But your audience doesn't really care about all those technical details. What they care about is how can that algorithm be used to solve my company's problems? So really changing that mindset completely from head in the weeds, focusing on process and looking at a higher level and focusing instead at the kind of eagle eye 10,000 foot view Uh, Why does it matter to my audience? And uh, why does it matter to the company? The so what aspect of it. And again, yeah, putting yourself into the audience's shoes. That's really the most important aspect uh, of telling a data visualization story compellingly. And I think another mistake that I have often been guilty of making early on in my career as well is adding way too much text to slides. I think that it's very easy when you're starting out creating presentations to try and create kind of like a buffer for yourself, a kind of cushion where you have all of your information on the slide and you can just read it out to your audience. Uh, But that is a very, I found to be a very ineffective way of presenting information because if you have all of the text on the slide, 
uh, and then you just read it off of the slide. There's no use for you to be presenting that uh, that information. You could have just as easily emailed it to all of the people in the audience and they could have read it themselves. And so what I, I get to realize a lot is that presentation is not just a simple translation of information into people's minds. It really comes down to kind of a theatricality aspect. You really want to influence people through the performance of the presentation itself. And I think what really uh, cemented that for me was I was... Uh, trying to give a, a concert performance once during my composition days. And I had created an electronic composition, which had a lot of sound design, a lot of elements that you couldn't really perform on a keyboard. But the easiest way to to play it would be just playing the recording. And I asked one of my mentors, I said, how should I perform this piece when I can't really play any of the elements? Should I just play it as a recording for the audience? I, I thought that would be incredibly boring. And so through conversations uh, with my mentor and, and thinking about those kinds of issues, I realized concerts, presentations, public speaking, all of these aspects, they're not just you trying to inform your audience about something. It's you trying to give an element of theatricality and influence through the emotional engagement that you can develop through your speaking. That's really the important part about it. So the advice that I would give to young professionals starting out trying to create their presentations, trying to create data visualizations is to yeah, really think about what the audience wants to see. What would you as an audience, what would you sitting in someone else's presentation? What would you want them to do? You wouldn't want them to read off of their slides. You wouldn't want them to just information dump. You would want a visually engaging presentation and something that you can follow narratively and in a story-like way. And so applying those principles to your own presentations will help tremendously, I believe. Completely agree and gleaned a lot from that. Thank you very much. And what it tells me is it's the culmination of many different skills that are blended together and many different, uh, shall we say, paradigm shifts. Um, when you get into coding, it's about being able to think in an abstract way, but then translate that into very, very specific and detailed steps in the lines of code that you create. And sometimes it's hard to then, when you're, as you say, stuck in the weeds, get back up and step back and think big picture, what is this all for? And so that's pretty insightful. And then also you mentioned about the empathy and having the audience in mind when you're communicating or creating and crafting those stories. But at the same time, when you're delivering, you have to also be self-aware. How do you come across? and what? Are they possibly seeing? So it's another extension of that empathy. How do they almost, how do you reflect back in their eyes? So, yeah, it uh, can be overwhelming for people just starting out, but being aware of it is a big start to the journey. And then coming to getting from that detailed level and stuck in the weeds to bringing it back up a notch to outcomes and prioritizing and keeping everything nice and succinct. How do you identify the most important outcomes to focus on when you deliver your presentation? I think that one of the most important outcomes to focus on when giving that presentation is really the call to action at the end. Uh, I think that I, I've seen a lot of presentations where there's a lot of great input being uh, delivered and it's a fantastic presentation overall. The audience is really excited and worked up about it. And then it kind of just ends there. There's no real, this is what you can do once you leave the room. And this is how you can apply everything that you've learned. So I think that the one of the most important outcomes to focus on when delivering is really thinking about 
what would you want the audience to do when they left the room? And that, I think, is what differentiates a good presentation from a great one, where you tell the audience uh, not just information that they need to know, but how can they use it to change their lives or change their uh, the work that they do. So in addition to just having the good paces of vocal variety in your presentation, good structure overall, good pacing, it's really about thinking about at the very end, what do you want your audience to take away with them? And I think that also ties into thoughts about how do you go into kind of like a high stakes presentation where uh, you're really invested in the outcome and really impressing your audience, but you're really kind of afraid about how it's going to go. And it's really nerve wracking to go through that kind of experience. And I think at least what I've experienced in my career is that I think there's three ways that I've really approached uh, trying to uh, get through a really nerve wracking presentation that has high stakes. And I'm, I'm really invested in that outcome. And it's really realizing that one, that the audience is really rooting for you and no one wants to see a bad presentation. It, it it's, would be a waste of everyone's time if it was a bad presentation. Everyone wants you to do a good job. And so reminding yourself of that really helps dispel any of the negative self-talk that you might have. And it's sort of like when we all went virtual during the pandemic and meetings and Zoom, and you can see that little square at the bottom that has your self-image, and you're constantly looking at that to make sure that you're presentable and you look normal and you're not, you know, you don't have a bad hair day or you're looking fine and you're, you're presentable. And it's really turning that off, uh, hiding that and reminding yourself that you, you are your worst critic. And I saw a great post about this on LinkedIn that 99% of your audience is rooting for you and the 1% isn't is yourself. And that's because we're our own worst self-critics. So dispelling that um, can really help you execute a really good presentation and deliver on the outcome that you're interested in. And the second tip that I would give would be to give yourself more grace in the sense that a lot of people think when they make their first mistake during presentation, it's all over and no one will see you in the same way ever again. And that, so that's ruined from that point forward. But no, if you uh, handle yourself with purpose and intention, no one will probably have noticed that moment that you thought was a mistake. And so if you're caught uh, going through your presentation, you forget what comes next, uh, you can take a pause. You can take you take a sip of water. You can ask the audience if there are any questions. You can handle yourself with purpose and intention, and no one will notice that you had forgotten that moment. And so just give yourself more credit for mistakes that you can make. Let yourself fail, and you can learn from everything as you go forward. And I think that the third tip that has really helped me deliver on those outcomes of presentations and handle those high stakes scenarios is that the feeling that you get when you're really nervous about a presentation, when you're really, you have that tight, hot ball in your stomach and you're really uh, wondering how you're ever going to get through this, how you're ever going to finish uh, with, with all of this nervousness and butterflies in your stomach trapped there. I realized that that energy uh, within myself was really just my body preparing me for an action. And that's a fight or a flight response. And the response I usually took was the uh, response of flight. I always wanted to just run away from the event because it was so nerve wracking. Uh, but that's uh, a horrible way to approach it from my personal experience, because if you're on the stage and you're constantly in that flight mode, you want you do not want to be there. You want to be anywhere else but on that stage and in front of the audience and presenting your insights. 
And so I realized that if I approached it, just a switch in mindset to it's not a flight response, it can be a fight response, then that changes the paradigm completely about how you approach it. You can say to yourself, okay, uh, I don't have to run away feeling this nervousness within myself. I can stand on the stage and I can confront it and I can really fight this monster of uh, nervousness that I'm feeling. And that energy turns very positive because you're now on the stage, not wishing you were anywhere else, but you're on the stage properly engaged with the presentation that you're giving. So those three things, I'd say, have really helped me in terms of uh, trying to wrap my head around delivering uh, presentations and delivering on the outcomes that I've wanted from them. Thank you, Christopher. Um, a lot to take in as always. And yeah, definitely agree. It's all about being um, self-aware of what you're going through, uh, what you're trying to achieve. And I think for me personally, when I'm presenting in a high stakes situation, which is usually at a corporate level with very senior stakeholders who can cancel your project if they're not happy with it, or even just slowly, the slow death of sponsor or executive sponsor disengagement. You're always thinking, well, is this going well? And you'd rather assume the worst uh, because you think, well, if I do that, then at least, you know, you cushion the impact if you don't succeed. But that's not always necessarily the best approach to take. You, you should be in it to try and achieve your goals. It's hard to fight that if you feel like the odds are stacked against you or it's just it's all in your head as well because you're thinking, well, this is so important to me. And therefore, you actually you perceive the obstacles and the challenges as greater than they are. As you say, people want you to succeed with them, because especially if you're helping them as well. Definitely agree. Thank you for that. And I guess in terms of you've given us a lot of excellent advice, but what career advice would you give to your younger self just starting out? Oh, I, I think that really looking back, we always look back and, and feel like there are so many things we would have done differently. And the advice that I would give to my younger self would be to really be the advice that I gave a bit earlier, to let yourself fail, let yourself be, look silly, let yourself make mistakes. And I think early on in my career, I was so afraid of, uh, making mistakes, being perceived as not knowing enough, that I didn't put myself out enough to be able to make the mistakes and learn from them. So I remember there was one instance when I was uh, in my composition days where there was kind of like an after party after an event that I had uh, helped put on. I had written the music for that particular show. And there was uh, an instance where this very famous person in the industry and in the music industry had come over as a part of the party. And it was, it was a great opportunity for me if I had established a good relationship with this person to really advance my career. But I, I was very young and I was very nervous and I mustered up just enough courage to go up to the person, shake their hand, say my name. And then I, I just left, I ran away. And so, and Older, my older self now would look back and say, hey, you did a great job, younger self. You actually got up there and you, you actually talked to the person. You didn't just sit in the crowd. But my younger self was uh, petrified of, of being, being seen as not good enough and being seen as not worthy enough of the, of the work that I was creating. And so 
if I were to do that again in my in my current age, I would I would go back to that party. I would I would I would do more than just introduce my name and then run away. I would put myself out there. If I made a mistake, if I slipped up, if I was uh, not my best self, that would be okay. At least I would have tried. At least I would have um, put myself out there more for people to notice and gain the opportunities that could have been been gleaned from it. And I think that. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned just before about how if you're in a really high stakes presentation and you're really worried about if the funding will stop if you don't do well, I think it really comes down to self-fulfilling prophecies where if you really think it's going to happen badly, you will make it happen badly just be, by thinking so much about it. And it's happened to me many times where I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to mess up this presentation. It's just not going to go well. I'm going to be fired. My boss isn't going to like it. And then I end up messing up the presentation just because I'm thinking so much about it and not uh, being fully present in the moment to give a good presentation. So the career advice I'd give to my younger self would definitely be to just go out there, make mistakes. Uh, because nobody really cares. The next day, nobody's going to remember you making those mistakes. Only you will, but only if you're too critical of yourself. And the other advice that I would give would be to, yeah, just really give yourself more credit for the work that you do. I think that a lot of people see insurmountable obstacles in terms of the goals that they want to reach. Uh, For example, if there is someone who wants to transition into data analytics, like myself many years ago, they can see that as a very insurmountable obstacle. It's just so much information you need to know, so many connections you need to make, uh, so many projects you need to put in your portfolio. But what I realized is that I had to give myself more credit for the little things that I did each day to make that happen. And so if I one day finished a course, I should congratulate myself for having um, had the courage to actually go through that and finish it. If I finished uh, a project as my next step, I should be happy that I actually finished it and not just stopped it midway because I had given up and not found the solution. So I think people need to be less harsh with themselves when it comes to their progress and success and make incremental uh, updates to the things that they're doing and really see that that's marching towards a greater goal and they can really achieve the things that they want to do. Wise advice. Thank you, Christopher. And um, it's been an amazing interview. We're, we're coming towards the end of it. Hopefully we can get you back on the show. And I just wanted to wrap up with some personal information about yourself. Who is Christopher as a person? So what do you do in your spare time? Oh, I, I currently live in Washington, D.C., uh, so there's tons of free museums, thankfully, that I, I enjoy going to. There's Natural History Museum. I, as a kid, I, I loved dinosaurs. That was my thing. And so seeing those ancient artifacts and everything is is really something that I enjoy. Uh, but in particular, I enjoy uh, nature, going into nature, hiking, forest bathing. And so I remember there was one time I was really stressed out about some stuff that happened uh, at work. And there was all this noise going on in my head and I just needed to go out and I just sat in the forest for a bit and that just let all the craziness go because in in the forest there's noise, but it's not like the incessant noise from like a city with construction going on all the time or the incessant noise in your own head where you're constantly being self-critical. And so uh, when I go hiking or when I go into nature, it's, it's really relaxing for me because I can... Uh, just kind of reorient my rhythms to something that's a lot more toned down, relaxed, and uh, not stressed all of the time. So what I really enjoy doing in my spare time is 
going out into nature. Uh, a friend of uh, mine gave me a mushrooming book. And so now I have a guide to all of the mushrooms that are in the DC area or in general anywhere. And so that's, that's been something I've been really wanting to tackle for a while is what are all of these cool things that I see on my walks? And so now I can identify them. And I think the next step for me would be uh, identifying bird songs. So I've had a lot of uh, colleagues in the past who were in upstate New York and they really enjoyed just uh, walking through the forest and just identifying birds. Uh, the migratory birds. And so that's one of the things I'd like to do in the future, just get better at identifying all of the cool sounds that I hear. And that that goes back to all of my composition, music, and sound days. So yeah, those are the things I, I really enjoy. And traveling as well. I know that shut down a lot during the pandemic, but uh, one of the trips that I enjoyed the most before the pandemic was to Japan uh, it was a really enjoyable experience in terms of the nature and the culture and the people uh, were just sublimely polite and respectful. And the experience itself was amazing. I got to see so many things. And that trip actually happened in February of 2020. So just as the pandemic was happening, that was my last big trip for a while. So hoping to travel again in the, in the near future. Wish you every success in that, and I'm sure you will get to travel in the near future. And um, finally, do you have a project you're working on right now that you would like to share with the listeners? Sure thing. Yeah, I uh, right now my most recent project and the focus of my current work is uh, creating coaching packages for technical professionals to level up their uh, their presentations. And so there's, and I think I mentioned this earlier as well, where through all the years in my career, what I've noticed is that uh, there are so many technical professionals like myself that that are really afraid to go into public speaking. They're afraid of uh, putting themselves out there, afraid of what to say, how to say it effectively. And I, I, I've seen so many of my colleagues struggle with this intensely, this one aspect of their skill set. And I thought to myself, okay, I, I have all these skills with data technology, uh, but what I felt was really lacking through all the years that I've been in the tech world is being able to give back to people in a, in a way, being able to not just build things in an engineering sense, build products and build, uh, and build designs, but help build people. And so what I am really focusing on now is my current, uh, my current passion, my current focus is building out coaching for professionals to be able to uh, feel confident in their uh, speaking ability to give those technical presentations to their clients, stakeholders, executives, managers in an effective way that they can feel really good about. And for me, it's not just about giving the kind of uh, more generic advice about how to give a good presentation, but because I've been in the field and I really understand uh, what the audience is looking for. And I really understand the struggle of telling stories about really complex and often boring information it can be. But if you can figure out how to tell it in a compelling way, it'll change everything uh, for you as a technical professional because you'll feel confident about the way you speak and feel confident about the way you can change people's minds. So um, that would be my, my current passion project. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who will get great value from that. And then finally, Christopher, what's the best way for our listeners to find you and connect with you online? 
I'd recommend, uh, yeah, just going to thehiddenspeaker.com. There's tons of free resources uh, up there currently for people to check out on uh, blog posts I've written, presentation best practices. And yeah, just alluding to what I mentioned before about the incremental ways that you can really improve, make improvements. And so there was one book that I had read a while back, Atomic Habits, and really influenced the way I look at things, where uh, instead of looking at things like the insurmountable obstacles or goals that you want to achieve, looking at it instead in terms of the small chunks that you can make to improve every day. So instead of saying for your New Year resolution for 2023 that you want to lose say 20 pounds. Instead, you can say, well, tomorrow I'm going to eat a little healthier. Tomorrow I'm going to eat one more fruit. The next day, I'll walk a little more. I'll walk five more minutes. And then you keep building that and building that. And then eventually, you'll surpass your initial goal because you can accomplish what you want in smaller incremental chunks. And so for me, what I really want to encourage and cultivate through my site and through my uh, through my work is cultivating a community where people can uh, feel comfortable and confident about making those incremental changes because those small investments built up over a long period of time really pay uh, many dividends in the future. Thank you, Christopher. And that wraps up this episode. I'm your host, Dante Healy, and you've been listening to Christopher Chin, data storyteller, expert presenter and coach. This podcast shares experiences and insights gained from business, IT, and digital finance. Hosted by two leaders who have made the leap themselves, this show is dedicated to helping listeners think differently about their career aspirations. 